Hello, all you beautiful people. Before we get started today, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. Adam, the best part is this. You can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. This week's episode of the podcast, I tell Drew the history and unlikely origins of the most famous soccer jersey in history. Oh man, which one do you choose? I mean, there are so many soccer jerseys. I think that you'll know which one when the time comes. So why don't you just buckle up, because this is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy, healthy dose of stupidity, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and brought to you by your favorite idiots of all time, me, myself, your favorite freelance soccer content maker, Adam Whitaker-Snavely, joined as always by my real-life brother, Drew Snavely, just a passionate Manchester United fan um, that is still holding on to hope that... There is somewhat of a title race. There's no title race. <laughs> there's there's zero title race. Man, Man City's playing so well. It's, They're ten points ahead of you. It's terrible. You've won two of your last five. The only uh, <laughs> the only silver lining in this season is Liverpool just sucking so bad. <laughs> it's like so awesome. It, it does. I feel- mean, like it's obviously terrible that they've had so many injuries. They've been supremely unlucky. Um. But I mean, I feel like every every team kind of goes through through something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, personally speaking, Dortmund has been awful, but it has been nice to see Schalke probably get relegated. That's been kind of funny for me. Oh man, R.I.P. Weston McKinney. Whenever he goes back, he's not going back. <laughs> he just scored again. I know. I he's, saw. He's Juventus's best <laughs> midfielder. Like unironically, he's Juventus's best midfielder. That's wild to say. That feels really odd to say, given what I thought about this move, like, yeah, a no, few months ago. Yeah. You wouldn't have... Nobody predicted this sort of success. I guess I should have seen it coming that, like, oh, yeah, we probably haven't seen the best of him because he's been playing on Schalke. It's true. It's true. But also... And they play Pirlo, in seven different positions. Pirlo seems like, um, I don't know, the type of manager that's like, oh, if you didn't... 
if you didn't make it in like the the Italian league or um, Spain <laughs> or England, like you're nothing. You're beneath me. But apparently he wanted apparently him. Apparently not. Apparently yeah, he wanted him. I guess him. he wanted him. And you know what? Speaking of Pirlo, Drew. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. We are both uh, sipping on some fine wine. Some this fine, evening. some fine yes. grocery market wines that we are imbibing. I think this is the the first night that we're wine boys on an episode. This of might Brothers. be the first night that we're wine boys. We're usually beer boys, sometimes whiskey boys. But um, sometimes tequila boys. We are feeling kind of classy tonight. I think I think tequila boys are the spiciest snavelys. Yeah, probably. I mean, they're the tequila is the spiciest version of everyone. <laughs> you make a good point. You, my friend, you raise a good point. I tip my glass to you, sir. Yes, I smell my wine. Yes, this is a, a white. white. <laughs> Classic. Uh, <laughs> what a line. Uh, yes, I'm sipping on a fine Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. That's a callback to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Ah, uh, never saw it. Really? Nope. It's a good show. Oh, really, yes. It's very fun. Yeah, I hear great things about it. Just <laughs> I, I hear nonstop great <laughs> things. I just consciously choose to not there's, bring there's myself so joy. There's so much content out there, and it's just hard to get around to everything. You, I can't believe that people are choosing to listen to this podcast right now <laughs> with all the other content that's out there. With all the, the wide world of content that you have available Movies, to you. Movies, TV shows, heck, even podcasts. I mean, you could be listening to so many other things right now, but you are listening to two brothers talking dumb stuff. And that's why we love you so much. We do love you so much. Drew? Yeah. I've got a... I don't know. It's not dumb, I would say. I think that we're just the dumb thing. This is kind of a... An interesting history, I think, today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can, we, we can yeah, we're definitely dumb sometimes. We're, like, the, we're the dumb. We're like the guys that last week said the cup of the day was the, the cup of the sun. Oh, yeah, and we did say that, which King's is not cup, proper Spanish at all. As the listener pointed I out. I said it, and then you just completely I, went along I with went it. went along with it. And, uh, ah, yeah. ouch. Yeah, it is rough. It is rough, you know? <laughs> but anyways... Uh, let's let's find a new way to be stupid this episode. Yes. Uh, but just before we we go into how stupid we are and how stupid this episode could possibly get, okay, I will say I was alerted on Twitter to this, so I, I knew I had to do it. But I know for a fact that we have received a haiku review. Oh, okay. A high view. A high view, which is what I'm calling it. <laughs> yes. Currently. From uh, Ryan C. Audi, uh, who gave us five stars. Thanks, Ryan. Nice. <laughs> Historical and goofy, dot, dot, dot. If there was more to that title, can't see it on my mobile phone. So sorry <laughs> to you. I hope it was clever. But uh, yeah, that's just the, that's the way it's going to go. Snavely's want haikus. Not much for poetry, but this podcast is good. Wow. It's a classic 575, five, if I've ever seen one. I mean, I, what more could you want I, than a 575 five sandwich? I I'll, mean, it doesn't get better than that. All I want is haiku reviews in my life, and we have received one. I have full body chills. Like, just all down my body. <laughs> all down my body. Goose flesh <laughs> everywhere. Uh, thank you so much for the haiku review. Thank is you. Is Ryan, you said? Ryan. Ryan C. Audi. Yeah. That is very, very appreciated. If you would like to support us, please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. But I was just going to say a high view. A high view. But 
Of, you have a story to a tell raku. us. Yeah. I think I think we've previously referred to them as raccoons on uh, this on this program. Maybe. But eh, maybe. Eh, whatever. I don't know. It happens. But yes, I have a story. Yeah, we should get into that. Drew? Yeah. When you think of international soccer kits, what comes to mind? Um I guess immediately mm-hmm. uh, what comes to mind and I guess it's just such a long running bit from Men and Blazers is like Puma, like Argentina's jerseys. Um, well, when I think of jerseys in general, mm-hmm. um, and like the nipples tingling, and like oh sure, because the, the shirts are so that's, tight. That's, for Pumas. that's Uruguay, Uruguay, not yes. Argentina. Argentina's Adidas. Because yeah. yes, Argentina's same Adidas. colors. That's yeah. my bad. Um, and but we're Urugu- going to talk about Uruguay later. Oh, very fun. They're um, a, they're a, a secondary figure in this story. I mean, from an international standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, USA's denim jerseys. From <laughs> a classic. The, if the ever 96 was World Cup. Was it? Yep. Uh, <laughs> 90, 94. 94 World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those were um, pretty iconic. Those um, were iconic. Any other, any other particular countries come to mind? I mean, outside of just like ultra recognizable, like or, classic. Or just... Or, just I, in the wide world of international soccer, if I say international soccer kit, what countries do you think of? I mean, like Brazil. Hey. Like Brazil and the United States. Brazil and the United States. For, okay. for reasons that I don't need to explain on this podcast. Absolutely not. But I'm glad that you mentioned it because we're talking about Brazil today. And we're talking oh. specifically about how the classic, iconic, canary yellow Brazil kit. Yeah. Came to be in existence. Oh, that's very fun. Because it wasn't always the kit that Brazil wore. Okay, and it wasn't that, it wasn't always the colors that Brazil wore. That's not always surprising to me because their away kits are like blue and white, and mm-hmm. it's just like why? <laughs> well, blue and white are also on the flag. I know, but they're so much worse than the the yellow and green. It's true. It's fair. It's the yellow and green remarkably worse. Is great. Yeah. Is just wonderful. Yeah. We, we we all know this outside of our Argentine friends, which, you know, I don't care about you. I don't care about you in a in a rivalry way. I care about you in a friendship way. Yeah. Argentine friends. Yeah. Um shout out to Monty who just subscribed to the podcast. Thank you, Monty. <laughs> He's Argentine. Um but uh yeah um the Brazil national team kit. Yeah. The canary yellow shirt with the green accents, the blue shorts, is easily one of the most iconic soccer kits in the world, if not the most. The only ones that I think are in the same echelon of like instantly recognizable, uh, I have down Argentina. Yeah. Croatia. Yes. The Netherlands. Well, or how do you pronounce the orange? I have no idea. Dutch <laughs> is such a weird language. Really Dutch is such Dutch is I I oh, don't man. even want to try to 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 pronounce Dutch names almost all the time. Uh, but the Netherlands and possibly some of Nigeria's kits. Yeah, I, think, I was, I was going to say like a lot of uh, a lot of African countries have really cool and loud kits. Cameroon too. I think yeah. I think we could th- we could throw Cameroon in there. Maybe Ivory, Ivory Coast. Coast. Yeah. True. Yep. That's that's very very true. But as soon as you see a Brazil kit, you don't even need to look for a player name. You don't even need to look at the crest to know this is a Brazil kit. Yes. You just 
No, you just know it as soon as you see it. That's the literal the literal translation of the word icon or iconic. It's a word or symbol whose form suggests its meaning. Okay. Brazilian soccer is so inherently intertwined with those kits that the national teams wear that it's nearly impossible to think about any Brazilian soccer player without also thinking about them wearing the kit. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. almost always. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... Th- I mean, I guess occasionally I'm thinking about Ronaldinho in a Barcelona kit. Sure. But... Or if you're a real hipster in a PSG kit. Or in a PSG... Or AC Milan kit. <laughs> no, PSG back in the well, day. Back when he was teammates the... with uh, Pochettino. So, uh, um, Santos jersey. Did he play for Santos? Before, did, did he pa- he before he went to PSG? I do not remember if he played for Santos or not. I'm like, I want to say it's either Santos. I want to say Flamengo. Corinthians, Sao Paulo. It wasn't Sao Paulo. <laughs> I know, I, I, if it was Sao Paulo, I would have known, but it's not Sao Paulo. Um, I don't know why Flamengo is coming to mind. I don't know if it was Santos or not. The Santos sounds correct, but also I might just be saying Santos because... Neymar. Neymar and Pele both played for Santos yeah. very famously. So I, I can't remember what Brazilian club Ronaldinho came yeah. up with slash returned to because he didn't finish his career in Brazil. Yeah. But... Mostly, I'm thinking about him in Brazil kit a lot of the time. Yeah, that, that's that's just that's just how do. it goes. Yeah, the design of those Brazilian primary kits has been remarkably consistent for a long, long time, and where countries like uh, the United States can never seem to land on a single design element that consistently defines their kits year after year, you basically always know what you're going to get with Brazil. The shirt is going to be yellow. The accents will be green. The shorts will be blue. It's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and it sure as heck ain't broke. I mean, like, there aren't any iconic United States jerseys except for, like, the most ridiculous ones. But, like, Brazil figured out their style, and they're like, we're sticking with it. And you got to respect that. Yeah, I feel like the Waldos for a lot of people were iconic. I guess. I like the sash ones. I wish we, went, I wish we just made the sash a permanent thing. For, like, primaries. Sash ones are cool. I was a big fan of the Sentinel jerseys. The Centennial? Centennial jerseys. The Sentinel jerseys. Which, which the, the, the current primary kits that we have are very close to, honestly. It just doesn't have, like, the throwback crest. Um, I fact-checked Ronaldinho. He uh, started at Gremio. Oh, that's right. Gremio. So... There's, there's that little fun fact. Now we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what is this podcast if not just a series <laughs> of fun facts? <laughs> so, yeah, you always know what you're going to get with Brazil. And no one, is, no one is ever going to complain about a Brazilian kit that's yellow and green with blue shorts, white socks. Like, no one's ever, like, as long as those colors are intact, no one's ever going to complain about it. No, never. It's a good kit. Yeah. Automatically. Yeah. Done deal. But that home kit... The one that Brazil has made so famous over the course of its history. The one that has won a world record five, count them, five men's World Cup championships was not always the home kit that Brazil wore. In fact, a World Cup final, in a World Cup final, they wore a primary kit of completely different colors. Oh, wow. And that result, and the result of that game, was so traumatizing that the Brazilian Federation... And the soccer-loving public in Brazil yeah. 
decided they needed to change what they wore on the field entirely so that no one would ever have to think (laughs) about what had transpired ever again. Oh my gosh. It is that dramatic because if we know anything about Brazilians, they're dramatic. Yeah. We know because we were raised by one. Yeah, it also is surprising to me that they didn't do something like this after the 7-1 loss to Germany. <laughs> it was uh, vaguely close to that, I think. Like almost. Was this was this loss in a World Cup final, mm-hmm. you said? So maybe because they weren't in a World Cup final, they just got the crap kicked out of them. and like Yeah, it was a little bit more traumatic because of, yeah. I think, everything that really went down there. But, but yeah, pretty much. Okay. So, two World Cups occurred in the 1930s. But the tournament was forced into a hiatus thanks to a little thing called World War II. A little. We have talked about it on the podcast before. We have. (laughs) It affected a lot of soccer. Yes. And the world, I guess you could say. Yeah, the world at large was also very affected by World War II. That's why they called it World War II. Yes, And not local war number 37. (laughs) True. Um, Lost your place. Lost my place, and it happens, and that's okay. After the war ended, we're back. We're back. After the war ended, FIFA was keen to get the World Cup going again, proposing the next installment of the tournament be held in 1949. There was just one problem. Not a lot of countries really cared about the World Cup (laughs) at that time. Yeah, they're like focused on rebuilding their country. There is that. But (laughs) also, there was a lot of people that were just like, oh, this World Cup thing that FIFA is trying to do, like... What is it really? It doesn't doesn't really matter. There's that story about, was it, um, was it Scotland that like sent a team that like didn't even have any substitutes to the world cup and they all wore like wool jerseys and it was like 80 degrees or something and they just didn't give a crap. Yeah. They're like, this doesn't matter. Yeah. That, that was, that was, I can't remember if it was Scotland or it was somebody in the British Isles. No prestige yet. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Scotland, but it was, but it was, that was the. That was the attitude that a lot of countries took to it. Like, oh, yeah. we're above this. It didn't have the same cachet as it does now. And if nobody cared about the World Cup, that would be a problem because FIFA was running into this. But even before the war, national teams would sometimes just not accept invitations to the World Cup or would come to the World Cup but clearly not really care about it. Um And the World Cup was in danger of not happening again in this 1949 date because they couldn't really find anybody that wanted to host it. And also, as you said, there were a ton of countries that were just had to, like, we had to rebuild everything. Yes. And so you had this thing where uh, there's a bunch of countries that were like, eh, we don't really care. And the countries that did care were like, yeah, we care. But also, you know, we have entire cities that have been bombed. It's like, read the room, man. Yeah, yeah. FIFA, <laughs> shut up. Also, the uh, the 19, like, this was in, so they, they, they were proposing 1949, but they were talking in like 1946, 1947. So World War II was still happening in places. You're like, oh man, what are we going to do to get this money-making machine churning again? <laughs> it feels like, Right now, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I just true, heard a thing that true. was like, oh, yeah, we're going to let people like 10,000 people back in soccer stadiums in England in like a month. And I was like, that's a choice. It is a choice. That is a choice that you could do. We'll see what happens <laughs> when you do that, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so the World Cup is in danger of not happening. Uh, a lot of people were interested. A lot of people were rebuilding their countries. It was a pickle for okay. FIFA. Yeah. Until... The tournament was saved when Brazil came to the rescue 
and offered to host so long as the tournament was pushed back to 1950. Basically said, give us a little bit of extra time. We can come in and host this. Okay. FIFA agreed. And so now we have World Cups only on even years as opposed to odd years. That's the reason why. Fun facts. Originally, it would have been odd years. Yeah. Huh. That's, I didn't, didn't really think about, think about that. that. No, but you didn't I've never think about that at all. Of, yeah, I've never thought about that. Yeah, if, so if, if that hadn't happened, then we would not get World Cups the same year we would get, like, Winter Olympics. Yeah. That would be all screwed up. Um, but now we do. Now Those we years do. are my favorite years. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Because I love the Winter Olympics. Oh man, the Winter Olympics <laughs> are so much better than the Summer I Olympics. Just, uh, man, I don't care about <laughs> winning, like, as the United States nearly as much as just how, how cool all the events in the Winter oh my Olympics gosh, are. they're so amazing. Oh, all right, now that we've geeked out a little bit about <laughs> the Winter Olympics. You better believe I'm tuning into the luge <laughs> to see who man. wins gold. Short track speed skating? Uh, yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Sign me up, Apollo Anton. I don't know. <laughs> So, Brazil came to the rescue. They offered to host. FIFA accepted. South America was, you know, kind of the only continent that was relatively untouched by World War II in terms of actual open combat, because even North America had something with Pearl Harbor and all that jazz. Um, So, you have a country that both wants to host and isn't destroyed. Bada bing, bada boom. FIFA says, we choose you. Brazil's hosting the World Cup, and it's the first World Cup to be hosted in South America. Oh. It's actually, I mean, and by extension, the first World Cup to be hosted outside of Europe at all. Uh, first two World Cups were both in yeah, Europe. Yeah, that tracks. And yeah, then 1950, we're, we're taking it to Brazil. We're taking it to South America. And Brazilians, they love soccer. Oh, yeah. Even then. They wanted to prove that they were one of the best teams in the world following somewhat disappointing finishes for Brazil in the first couple World Cups. Uh-huh. FIFA agreed. World Cup in South America is on. It's happening. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into everything that occurred in the 1950 World Cup because that's not what the story is is really about, but it's kind of what sets up the story. So we do have to talk about it a little bit. Brazil went into this tournament with their country fully behind them, and they promptly started playing like the best team in the world. That's great. Yeah, for, especially for us. <laughs> yeah. uh, they went undefeated through the group stage. Beating Mexico and Yugoslavia while drawing Switzerland to finish top of their group easily uh, with a goal differential of plus six after three games. This World Cup was formatted with four groups in the first stage of the tournament. And the first place team in each group would go into a final group, which would play each other in another round robin. And the winner of that final round robin group was declared the winner. So very different from what the format is even the next year. Um, because I think after that, they, they then changed it back to like, oh, we're doing like semifinals and a final bracket. Yeah, and we're, which they is kept way extend- more suspenseful yeah, than a round They kept extending it. it out and all yeah. that stuff. But, but yes. So Brazil was in the final round robin group alongside Uruguay, Spain, and Sweden. Wow. And this is where Brazil went absolutely nutty. Okay. Like absolute berserk. Yeah. They beat Sweden 7-1. to one. That's great. And followed that up with a 6-1 to one win over Spain. <laughs> now, Sweden had just beaten defending champions Italy 
in their group. Uh-huh. Spain had won all three games in their group, including a victory over England, who probably at that point thought of themselves as the best team in the world yes. because they're England. And they always think they're the best team in the world. This is very, very true. <laughs> Spain also beat the United States. This was the year that the United States beat England in the group stage, and everybody was like, whoa. Suck it, England. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, shouts out to Bethlehem Steel, because that's like our t- oh, entire yeah. team was playing yeah. for Bethlehem Steel at the time. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and they won one nothing over England, which is a, a big old deal for U.S. soccer. Yeah. And then they didn't appear in another World Cup until 1990. <laughs> uh, what a story. But Brazil wins 7-1 and 6-1, and those weren't supposed to be easy opponents. Like, those are supposed to be tough games. Yes, you know? yeah, absolutely. Those teams, both of those teams had gotten, like, good quality wins, and Brazil just pasted them, made them look like absolute cardboard. Yeah. Just, just nothing. After Brazil thrashed these teams, they have one final group stage game in this final group. They're South American neighbors. Uruguay. Yeah. Now, Uruguay, they were second in the group at the time with a narrow 3-2 victory over Sweden, whom Brazil beat 7-1. Yes. And a 2-2 draw with Spain, whom Brazil beat 6-1. Okay. Logic says Brazil should be favorites here. Yes. Definitely. Especially considering... And this was a weird World Cup, too, because of everything that was happening in the world. There were a few teams that accepted invitations and then withdrew at the last minute. Uruguay's group was the one group of three. It was three groups of four, one group of three Uh in the group stage. Yeah. And they were supposed to have France in their group. And then France withdrew. And so they played one game in the group stage. Oh, my gosh. Against Bolivia. (laughs) Okay, so they got like a free ticket. Yeah, to the they final. beat Bolivia eight nothing, and it was like okay. Like, why, like why didn't they just like switch? I I've, one team. I don't know, man. Listen, man. I I don't know. The other the other country that was like accepted an invitation and then withdrew. Fun facts: India. Oh, that's cool. Go crazy. Yeah, I think it was the only time that they were ever in a World Cup, possibly a World Cup final. I I would believe it. Um, I don't know, but I believe it. So. Brazil still needed to beat Uruguay in the Maracanã, most famous. Actually, at this time, brand new stadium. Wow, that is crazy to think about. Yep. To win the World Cup. Pretty much a sure thing, right? Yeah. Easy peasy. Look at how many goals they were scoring. Look at oh, how yeah. Uruguay only squeaked in to this, invincible. this position in the first place. We have place. home field advantage. Yeah. Easy peasy. There's no way we're losing this. Yeah. Yeah. An important point of note. So this was also the time when victories were only worth two points. I, I was and doing draws the math. were worth one. I was doing the math in my head, but I think even if they had victories at three points, it's still if Uruguay still beat Brazil, yes. it wouldn't have they would still win with modern scoring. They would still too. win with modern scoring. Yeah. But if it was modern scoring, a draw would still see Brazil win. Yes. Um, right. a draw You're... might still be see Brazil winning the old scoring too. Yes. Eh, math, whatever. Yeah. So Brazil was about to win the World Cup. Brazilians excited. Yeah. Super pumped. Ready. Brazil took to the field in that final game, effectively what was the World Cup final because it was the first two place teams and whoever won this game would win the tournament. Yes. In the home strip that they always had worn in international competition up to that time, a white shirt. With white shorts, white socks, complete with a blue collar and blue trim. What? That was what Brazil wore in international competitions. 
Just all white with a blue. That looked like grease. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> that was yeah. All That's white. So all white with a blue collar and like blue trim, blue numbers. It's probably really cheap. It sounds pretty cheap. So it makes sense. <laughs> nice and cool. Yeah. You're not really getting those dark I was gonna say, sun it's, absorbent it's, it's colors. Hot. It's hot in South America. That was what Brazil wore. Yeah. Uh and I don't know particularly why. I mean blue and white are on the flag. Yes. So so they are colors of Brazil, kinda. White is barely on the flag. Um, and Barely. it was the primary color that they were using for their jerseys, which it's was a, like a little odd, a little stars weird. stars and the banner that holds Ordemy Progressive. Yep, that is that it. is correct. <laughs> that is all the white. That, is, all in, the white. that is in uh, the Brazilian flag. Uruguay were in their traditional sky blue and white trim jerseys. They had already figured it out at that point. Yeah. They're like, this is what we do. We're sticking with it. And in front of an estimated... 200,000 Brazilian fans at the Maracanã, which was roughly a tenth of the population of Rio, oh my was estimated to be at this game. That's insane. And sounds like a lot of safety violations being broken. Well, back then, safety was... Who cares about who cares? safety? Anything goes, baby. <laughs> the unthinkable happened. Brazil lost. With a 1-0 lead in the second half, Brazil surrendered goals in the 66th and 79th minutes. Alcides Gigia, scorer of the winning goal, gave his immortal quote later in life. A quote which I think we've already said on this podcast before. Uh But I'm going to say it again because it's so good. Yeah. Three people have silenced the Maracanã. (laughs) Frank Sinatra, the Pope, and me. (laughs) baller <laughs> oh my gosh what a quote that's just a i mean if you if I, and he can actually say that you, you know yeah, yeah like like you you have the right to say this and i i just have to respect it yeah absolutely. i don't like it but, but do i respect gosh, it man um so yeah presumably people were silent for frank sinatra because he wasn't singing on key that's a little music joke for all of you music fans <laughs> out there this was a national embarrassment it needed to be exercised, burned from the memories of any and all Brazilians. And it was soon decided that the white and blue kits themselves needed to be done away with. And a new symbol of the country had to be born. And soon they figured out how they were going to do it. A national contest, asking for designs for a possible new kit the national team could wear. And that plea for help caught the attention of a teenager, armed with some colored pencils and an illustrator job. And we are back for the second half of this podcast. We're Adam, so back. Brazil is completely throwing out their white kits and trying to figure out a new national team. Oh, yeah. Um, uniform and they're opening it up to the public anybody can can enter the contest drew you have surmised correctly so basically this was and and i want to i want to make sure it's communicated just how much of a like just a an absolute scourge this whole thing was to brazil as a whole after the loss to uruguay in the final brazilians were inconsolable Fans were weeping in the stadium. Oh, yeah. As Uruguay was awarded the Jules Rimet Trophy. Shouts out to the Jules Rimet Trophy. Shouts out to Pickles. Shouts out to Pickles. Bars and restaurants across the city of Rio 
were closed for that night, which is unheard of yeah. for Rio de Janeiro, well, which I mean, is kind of the party city. Yeah. That's, that's its but thing. But in, in Brazil, I mean, it seems to be everywhere when Brazil is playing. Yeah. Everything is closed. That's true. Like, you can't expect to get service anywhere. That's I, I'll agree with that. Um, Alex Bellos, in his book, Futebol, The Brazilian Way of Life, said that football was supposed to be this great expression of Brazilianness. The defeat reinforced the sense that actually Brazilians were just doomed to be failures on the edge of the world. Oh my gosh. Which is... That's bleak. What a quote. <laughs> what a quote. The Maracanazo, as it became known, yeah. was a national tragedy. Headline news as media across the country mourned the shocking loss more or less as if someone had died. That's That's how this was handled. Yeah. It was quickly decided that something, anything needed to change. And that thing ended up being the kits that Brazil wore. The white and blue kit that Brazil had always worn was deemed not patriotic enough for Brazil, basically. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) Because, Because as you have so aptly pointed out already, because while there was white and blue on the flag, yeah, the flag is actually dominated by the green background and the yellow diamond, which the then the little like globe planet thing yeah, sits on. Yeah, it it makes up like ninety five percent of the flag, or at probably. least it feels like that. I th- yeah. There's probably more blue than like probably like ninety percent of the flag. Uh, I'd say probably seventy percent of the flag. So you think thirty percent of the flag is was probably blue? I guess the the orb is bigger in in your head than it is in my head. It might be. I mean, I don't. I'm like I said before, math man. I don't, True. I'm just True. throwing out numbers. I'm just trying to make all things work. Um. So yeah, there was blue and white in the Brazilian flag, but people were like, "This isn't. This isn't Brazil." Basically, like this doesn't represent us. We need something. Yeah. That represents us. So the Brazilian Sports Confederation gave their blessing to Rio newspaper Correo de Mania, which I'm pretty sure is how you pronounce that, to hold a competition, design a new primary kit for the Brazilian national team. There was just one rule. You had to use all of the colors of the Brazilian flag, and you could only use the colors that were on the Brazilian flag. Okay. So you had to use all four colors. Green, yellow, blue, white. Yes. All those have to be incorporated and you can't use any other colors. Enter 19-year-old Alder Schlee. Which is a weird, weird say, name. It's I a weird name. I don't want to like, make fun of the name, but it's <laughs> Alder Schlee. It does not sound like a Brazilian name. No, that's what I'm saying. It uh, sounds almost German. Yeah, A-L-D-Y-R. Which kind of sounds a little bit Brazilian slash like South American. But Schlee is definitely German. It's like maybe was was he S C H L E E. Don't don't even we don't okay, need to go. We don't need to go there. We don't know. We don't need to speculate. Yeah, yeah. We've already talked about World War II enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a newspaper illustrator at 19 years old, living in Pelotas, a small town nearly two thousand kilometers to the south of Rio, close to the Brazilian border with Uruguay. Now, Schlee saw the contest for a kit design and very nearly didn't bother even entering it. Okay. His primary concern was that the rules of the contest stated you had to use all four colors on the Brazilian flag, green, canary yellow, royal blue, and white. And those are a lot of colors. 
And if you look at the color wheel or have any basic understanding of color theory, they clash. You'll notice that none of those colors are typically like a pleasant contrast at all to each other. Yeah. In fact, it's all one side of the color wheel. They're, yeah. It's like half of the color wheel is all blue, yellow, green. Yes. <laughs> like, like all of it. Yes. So it's, it's difficult to put all those things into one and make it look good. And he himself was like, how are you supposed to do this? Yes. Like he, he, he said his, his actual quote on it is how can you put yellow and white together on the shirt? Um, and then he said, is it a, is it a, an international kit or is it a Jersey for the Holy See?" Which is the, a, a Catholic, all my Catholics yeah. out there know what's happening. The crest of the Holy See in the Vatican is yeah. primarily yellow and white. What if it, could you imagine if it was like uh, white and yellow stripes? Uh, that would look so, so bad. That bad. would look gross. Terrible. Yeah, do not, especially like the canary, like the bright yellow. The yellow that Brazil has, yeah. No, that would be you, awful. Oh, do, no, do you remember when um, the Columbus crew tried to do that one Columbus city flag kit which was like white because because their city flag is like white canary yellow and sky blue and so the kit was like white with like yellow stripes that were kind of a gradient going into the center and then like light blue shorts gross i hated it i yeah. know that there were there were some columbus fans that liked it and i'm sorry if you're one of those people but i hated you that have kit. poor taste <laughs> Ooh, okay i'm not gonna go that far uh you are possibly misled by your love of your city that's all that's all that's all i'll say that's you like columbus a little too much <laughs> soon however as he kept looking at it and looking at it schlee struck upon a solution white could just be an accent color it's true much like it is on the flag yes or better yet team could just wear white socks why not why not that seems pretty easy white yeah. socks even white shorts maybe he focused instead on making yellow and green the predominant colors of his designs of which he came up with over a hundred before oh he gosh. settled on the couple that he actually sent into this contest he tried everything and and i found some pictures of some of his original drawings which were primarily it looked like colored pencil yeah um that that he was using uh he drew brazil kits with stripes brazil kits with yellow and gold hoops they look like tampa bay rowdies uniforms <laughs> uh he drew yellow kits with green stars with blue shorts white shorts he tried green shorts at one point eventually he kind of settled on yellow being the predominant color of the top yeah green being kind of the collar and trim and yeah. blue shorts because he felt like that really represented the flag well. And also he kind of realized as he was doing all these designs that the more complicated you made the design, the worse it looked yes. because you were already dealing with all these clashing colors yeah. that didn't seem to naturally fit together very well. Yeah, And he was like, you know, what if the colors and how they're blocked themselves. I was going to say, just in blocks. Are the design. Yeah. And I don't worry too much about actually making these stripes or hoops um, and and all that stuff. You know, what, what if we didn't worry too much about the actual design of what was going to happen on the shirt and just said, here are the colors. Yeah. And go with those. Not a bad idea. The contest ultimately had over 400 entries from different people, including Schley's colored pencil renderings of players in action in his canary yellow shirts, blue shorts, and white socks. And in the end, it was the simplicity of his design, 
along with his bold splashes of color that really won out, Brazil had its primary strip. Oh, man. And eight years, eight whole years after the humiliation of defeat to Uruguay, they would finally lift the World Cup trophy in Sweden, of all places, <sighs> led by the dribbling prowess of Garincha and a young star in the making named Pele. Oh, so beautiful. There's just one problem. Oh, gosh. In the World Cup final, they found themselves playing the host, Sweden, who also wore yellow. <laughs> oh, no. And Brazil did not bring any other jerseys to the World Cup at the time. <laughs> did they not know? I don't like, know. I don't know why that was the case. I don't know if they were just like, nobody else has colors like these. And then Sweden was like, hernga dunga hernga. Happy Leif Erikson Day. Oh my gosh. Did they have to wear like pennies or something? <laughs> um, so here's what happened. And this is actually another origin story. Oh my gosh. Uh, a slightly less exciting and noble origin story for the less famous but still consistent royal blue secondaries yeah. that Brazil seems to always wear. They went to a local sports store in Sweden, bought a bunch of blue shirts because they said, well, blue is a color on our flag. It's true. Ripped the patches off of their yellow primary kits and sewed them onto the blue ones. Heck Problem yeah. solved. They won the World Cup in the blue secondaries for the first time. Oh, that's really cool. So, yeah. So, we got actually, this is not just a story of Brazil's primary most famous jerseys. But also their secondary. It's also their secondary jerseys that they almost never wear. And since they won the World Cup in the secondary jerseys, they're like, all right, it's a staple now. It's, it's just. The, it's canon. This it's, is what it's going to be. <laughs> I mean, it's this, canon. Is, this is what we were founded on. <laughs> I, and it's funny because they really never, like, they hardly ever wear those blue jerseys. Well, I mean, you have Sweden and... Who else in the world is Cameroon? Cameroon. Cameroon's primary jerseys are green. Are they green? They're green. I guess they yellow are, is they're green, red, and yellow. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Their their shirt, the shirt is green, and I Colombia. I think I think it's the shirt is re- green. The shorts are red, and the socks are yellow for Cameroon. Colombia. Colombia. Ecuador. Australia. Australia, yes, but Australia, yeah, Australia, yeah, does does have yellow primaries. So it's like when they're facing one of those guys in their the away team, yeah, which so it barely ever happens. Yeah, what we're <laughs> yeah saying. It, it doesn't happen very much. Yeah, um, uh, countries with yellow in their flag tend to not really use it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's just I mean, like, hey, it's just it's what it is. As for Alder Schley, the teenager who won the contest. You might be wondering, what did he get? It was a contest, right? <laughs> yeah, did he get anything? Did he get the pride? I, I honestly wasn't wasn't wondering. I was like, oh, he is like, he can say I designed these shirts. Well, he does say that, but he also did get something. Okay. He won an internship in Rio at the newspaper that was holding the contest. Oh, very awesome. Which was a cool little thing for him as an illustrator at a newspaper in yeah. a much smaller town than Rio. Absolutely. Um, and they also gave him lodgings with the Brazilian national team players that they had that were kind of like had in this apartment building. And they were he was like, oh, yeah, you guys you get to live with them. That's also part of the prize. Like for the just forever, forever. I mean, I don't know. Not forever. But like <laughs> while he was there interning, I guess yeah. that was like the whole thing. Um, the problem and the, the reason that turned out to not be such a great deal for Alder Slee um, was the fact that he was fairly shy and private. And the soccer players mostly concerned themselves with alcohol and women at the time. Oh, no. And he found himself disgusted with their lifestyle and did not want to be there. And so 
shortly thereafter, he actually returned back to Pelotas. Oh my goodness! Where he still lives. Wow. He still he still, still lives kicking. In, in the same in the, I don't know if he's still in the same town, but he still lives in the same region. Yeah, he's like ninety. I, no, no, he's in his eighties. Well, this is uh, nineteen. He was nineteen at in the year nineteen fifty. Fifty. Um, so nineteen thirty nine. Ninety one. No. No. Math. Math's wrong. Math numbers. Nineteen fifty minus nine nineteen. Um, probably he probably hasn't. I mean, relatively speaking, he probably hasn't had a at a birthday yet. Years. So twenty twenty minus nineteen thirty nine. Eighty two. Eighty two. Eighty two. Eighty one. Eighty two. Yeah. In his eighties. Math. Just the math. Like I said to begin, in his eighties now. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure he's still kicking. He okay. was still kicking. He was like, this was the primary articles that I use were from a couple years ago. So he was 79 at the time. I mean, hey, with modern medicine, I mean, 82 is essentially like 50 now. Yeah, 80 is the new 70, dude. It is what it is. Um, the most peculiar portion of Schlee's story didn't start in Rio, however. And it didn't even start with his design to help Brazil forget the scourge of the past. It began... At that 1950 World Cup that Brazil was trying to forget. At that very final match with Uruguay. Because, you see, Brazil's a really big country. Oh, yeah. Like, huge, huge landmass-wise. Really we also live in a huge landmass country. Probably the funnest fact about Brazil is that it's larger than the continental United States. Mm-hmm. Which... But we got Alaska, baby. <laughs> but, but we have Alaska. And let's not forget about Hawaii, but... Hawaii doesn't really matter when landmass wise. We're yeah, in a size Alaska. Alaska. If Alaska was its own country, it would probably be in like it would easily be like a top twenty landmass country in the world. Pretty sure. Just with it's um, huge. Um, modern maps, maps that we just were, with modern maps we were shown uh, in school. You'd think, oh, Brazil's not bigger than the continental United States. Well, also... Well, and it's also on a curve. Yeah, also... It's the same I reason mean, why Africa is depicted as small as it yeah, is. Yeah, Africa, Australia, and South America are actually far bigger than they look on maps. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a weird fun fact. Again, a podcast just of fun facts. Yes. So yeah, Brazil's a really big country, and I know that we're familiar with people from one country that are cheering for another country for various reasons, because there's a lot of people just like that in the United States. A ton of people live here that cheer for other countries for various reasons. Um, Pelotas being on the border of Brazil and Uruguay. Yeah. Meant, um, Schlee was actually an Uruguay fan. Oh, wow. In that world cup final game, he was cheering for Uruguay. Oh my gosh. He said so himself. (laughs) The person who designed the shirt that Carlos Alberto, 1970 World Cup champion and captain of Brazil, called sacred. He said the yellow shirt is sacred to Brazil. The person who made it up after that 1950 defeat to Uruguay was definitely an Uruguay fan. And That's was crazy. definitely cheering for Uruguay at that World Cup. Wow. Even though he was he's Brazilian. Yeah. Um, instead, he was... Always cheering for that team that broke Brazilian hearts to such an extent that the country decided they needed to change every part of what they wore on the field. He just happened to have the brain and the colored pencils to get all those Brazilian colors onto the same kit at the same time. And ultimately, that was all it took 
to create the greatest soccer kit ever worn. Suck it, Argentina. <laughs> oh, man. You know I had to slip another Argentina yeah. dig in there. Just, I, just yeah. because. Just because. You, you don't see it as much with Canada, but like I'm sure a lot of Americans can relate to their fandom for Mexico, despite living in the United States. Like, living so close to the border of Mexico. But low-key... Mexico's jerseys are way better than ours. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. every single time. The green and red looks so good. Yeah, it's a really it's a really nice deep green. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I'm the a, green I'm a fan the of green that green. is great. Yeah. And when they oh dude, when they when they lean into like the Aztec designs. I really like I really like when they have black in their jerseys. I like the black Mexican jerseys the too. The black primary jerseys are pretty sweet. Their Federation crest, way better than ours, objectively design speaking, I think. Yeah, we need a new crest. We just got one. This is the new crest. Yeah. We literally, we got this crest like a few years ago. We need a new one. <laughs> we need a new one that looks better than this one. Um, that's what I have to say about that. Um, and that's the story of how Brazil's primary yellow kits came into being. And also their blue kits came into being. Made by Uruguay fan. Made by an Uruguay fan after Uruguay absolutely just crushed Brazilian hearts in the 1950 World Cup. Crazy, That's how it crazy. goes sometimes. Yeah. Some sources for the story. John Michaud for The New Yorker. Ben Smith for BBC Sport. Alex Bellos in his book, Fuchibal, The Brazilian Way of Life. And Simon Watts for the BBC. So awesome. Thank you for that story. You're Adam. so welcome. Um, it's a great way to get back on track yeah. with these wacky and interesting <laughs> zany stories. There's just so much out there. Kind of going back to the content thing that I was saying at the beginning of the podcast. Yes. But it doesn't really matter anymore. Thank you, listener, for sticking with us through this podcast. Thank and you so much. Listening to our stupid, stupid, dumb yeah. voices. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to support the podcast on social media, you can follow us at Deadball Pod on Twitter, Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. If you have any questions, concerns, or story ideas, you can email us deadballpod at jet gmail.com. Jamail. At gmail.com. <laughs> That's how I read it. Jamail non Jamail. And we still have some merch. We do. We have our merch store. The link is in the description below. But we are plotting. So and if you like any of that merch, I would advise you to get on that train quickly because we don't know how quickly we're gonna plot. Absolutely. Adam, thank you once again. Thank you, Drew. Story. Thank you for listening. And as always, listener, thank you for sticking with us. We will be back shortly with even more fantastic and stupid soccer stories to put into your ears. But until that time, my name is Adam Luther Snavely. And I'm Drew. And we will see you very, very soon. Bye.